Hello, you're listening to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, presented by Brandon Elliott. This show will be going over all aspects of real estate investing and is intended to educate, motivate, and prepare you to take action on your first or next real estate investment. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Welcome back, everyone, to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Brandon Elliott. I'm excited today. As always, you guys know, I'm based out of San Diego. We got my brother up in LA, just uh, you know, neighbors right here that we should have did this thing in person. It would have been fun. But what's really cool about Seth and what he's been doing with his team, he's got 60 members, a part of the team worldwide. They are in eight different states really taking over the the market with short-term rentals. And they set up a short-term rental fund, syndication style, raised over $63 million for the fund over their rounds of, of raising and just started in 2021, like towards the end of 2021. So just a few years into it, doing a hell of work here, bringing in about $12 million in revenue per year currently in these rentals. And there's a lot to be said with all of this. Like there's a lot here. They got 90 listings that are live, 30 that are under renovation right now. And overall, it's it's pretty mind blowing because this is like the first of its kind. Like I've heard of a lot of funds out there, a lot of syndication styles. I don't know anybody else in the space that has actually set up a short-term rental fund. So because I own a bunch of, you know, short-term rentals as well here in San Diego and in New Jersey, I'm just excited to hear more about this and greedily, you know, take in as much as I can. But without further ado, Seth, what is happening, man? How, how are we doing today? You excited? I'm good, Brett. I'm excited, man. Man, you fucking put it on. Sorry, I shouldn't have cussed on this. <laughs> uh, you do your thing, man. You be you. <laughs> your energy is just incredible. So, you know, and I think just hearing some of those numbers really kind of reflecting back, you know, really proud of the team that we have and the investors that we're, we're working with. But, you know, we're trying to do some crazy things and it's, it's always fun to, to, to do the things that haven't been done before. So excited to be here and excited to share the story. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. So anybody out there that doesn't know who you are, where you're from, and like how the hell you got started into this, I would love to hear just that 30,000 foot view background of of what you're up to. Yeah. So, you know, I'll kind of skip the whole like where I was born thing, but I actually went to school in San Diego. So I, okay. me, I'm an Aztec. And when I was there, I started the company helping people break into big tech, pretty successful company back in the day. And then Facebook called and said, hey, why don't you bring those evil skills back in, you know, internally instead of telling everyone how to, how to beat the interview. You know, flew me out and you know, I walked around campus, talked to a bunch of people, and I was like, wow, this is I mean, it was just something like out of a movie, right? Like out of the future in time. And I was like, I have to be here. So I ended up joining Facebook, spent about five years there on the talent recruiting side, ended up, you know, hiring over a thousand people, opening up offices. And biggest thing that I kind of took away is, you know, with people, they often care about where they're gonna go live and what they're, you know, what they're gonna do. It's not about trying to convince someone at the time to go work to Facebook. It was you know, that family of four in Dayton, Ohio, it's, you know, why are they going to move to Boston? Why are they going to move to New York? Right. It's like, it's like, what's their lifestyle going to look like? The, the money was there. Right? It was just everything else, right? The questions. And so we used to do it back in the day is when we'd open up new offices, someone or our people would actually like live in the market. Right. So I would live in an Airbnb for a week and then do a new Airbnb every week for six weeks in the, like in a single family house. So I could get a sense of what like living in Boston feels like. Right. Sure. And so you can kind of you know, craft the candidate experience, craft the compensation package, craft everything. So when you try to recruit, 
3,000 people to come work for Facebook at, you know, insert city, you can answer these questions as to why it's a good place to not only work, but a good place to live. And what I learned very quickly is that these Airbnbs sucked real, really, right? <laughs> I mean, these properties are horrible at the time, you know, and I'm just like, are all Airbnbs like this? And I was, you know, I, I did it in several different cities and states where I was like, why are they so bad and operated so poorly? And, you know, I was an LP in some multifamily syndications, you know, and so I, had, I was familiar with the model and I was talking to a few of those GPs and I was, why hasn't anyone scaled short-term rentals? And everyone thought I was crazy. They're like, you can't, yeah. you literally yeah. can't, right? Like it was single family homes, there's the operational headaches, there's, you know, why would you want to do that? Right. Yeah. A lot of reasons, right? And so anyway, I ended up meeting my co-founders and partners, you know, Sam, Sabrina, and we overall kind of came together and said, someone should try to scale this asset class. And actually what we started is by solving our own pain points, which was where do you want to, what do you want to buy? So we built software because what else would you do is two, two people in tech, right? And we built software to help us figure out what we should be buying as short-term rentals. And we got a couple of people paying us for the software, but as soon as they found a property, they would churn. And in software, churn and software don't go well together. That's a bad, bad yeah. word in business, right? Yeah, yeah. So we, we moved over to a managed service. And you know, the story there is you know, people were essentially paying us to help us do all the work. And we were using our own tools. We had you know, about six or seven homes that way. And then what I realized on a Zoom just like this is everyone was so jealous of everyone else's property. They were like, dang, Brandon, yours looks great. See, yours looks great. Sabrina, yours looks great. And you know, I wish I owned that. And they were basically describing a portfolio that they each had a share in. And again, having been an LP myself, I was like, they're describing a syndication. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? And it would make our life. 10 times easier if it was one to many instead of one to one of all these different clients and their, their different needs and all those types of things, right? So we brought up the idea, everyone went for it right away. Three days later, we announced it to our communities and friends and family, and we raised $7 million in 30 days. Like it hit a, it hit a, it hit a nerve, right? And we were like yeah. product market fit as they call it in the tech world. And then our first year we'd go on to raise a little over 37 and a half million, give or take. And then this year we're roughly sitting year to date about 26 or so. So we've raised about 63 million. We have about 120 properties that are either live under construction, renovation. We'll do about on our first 90 or so listings that are live right now, we'll do about 12 million plus a year in annual revenue for our shareholders. And yeah, we've already sent out $2 million to investors over the last two years. So, you know, doing good, providing better experiences and uh, but more importantly, making sure that we drive shareholder value as well, right? In addition to everything that we're doing. Love that, man. It's really incredible to think about like everybody's journeys of what you were doing. And then, you know, you're working with Facebook, right? You got inspiration with them. You also learned how to hire on people. You were responsible for that. So then you starting your own thing and hiring on other people, like that's nothing new to you. You know how to lead and be the the manager of that to be able to guide and, and set people up for success. So you know, it's just second nature. And then you actually get to experience being a partner in other syndications for real estate. You get to see that side of it, start helping people out, see the mess and the problems within real estate for short-term rentals. You're like, hey, this is where we can start solving it and systemizing your business instead of doing yeah. all one-offs, you know? I can't agree with you more. I think you hit it on the head. And, you know, it's uh, my team calls me internally, although my wife doesn't agree with this. Just, they call me the DM king. Because I purposely recruited our leadership team to who we are. And like, it's the one thing I will very non-humbly brag about is we have the best team in the business, right? Yeah. Like 
we have the right people in the right place in the right roles doing the right things at the right time in time and i think a lot of that has to go you know the work that you're, all these numbers i'm talking about wouldn't be possible without them everyone from you know john's our head of data known as the airbnb data guy josh is our head of operations xpr Wharton, makes our head of asset management xpacatha right all of these folks are experts of their craft and we wouldn't be here without any single one of them right so, you know, although uh, it's one of my biggest strengths, in my opinion, of being a, a recruiter and a leader in that general space, never would I in a million years assume that it would, it would be the number one skill set I would have as a leader, right? But I can't anyone listening to this, if you run a business, hiring well is the number one skill set you could ever do as a leader. It's, uh, you know, hiring well, coaching well, guiding well, providing well. It's, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I don't even run the company, right? Yeah. It's everyone else being responsible for their own world and giving people the right tools in the right places. And I know you probably read this a thousand times in all these books and all those types of things, but in practice, people aren't formulas, right? And there's a lot of art that goes into it. It's so true. You know, I've, I wasn't so graceful with my hierons over the years and, and had to, you know, pay the price many times over. And, and I would say the last year, but specifically the last six months, as we've been growing our team, we have 22 members now, like employees of the business for Credit Council Elite. And it's, I do now, I'm very proud to say like, we have the right butts in the right seats at the right time doing these things. And I feel like the book Traction helped me out a lot with this, but there's no simple or easy way when it comes down to people. Like they're all have their own type of situations right here yeah. right so yeah so it's actually the most recent book that i read if you can uh, if you can see it but uh yep. yeah literally i couldn't agree more there i had to hop off camera for a second because uh as soon as you said that i was like this was the book that i just most recently read and how important it is to put those right people in those right places it validated a lot of things that we're headed to yeah no it's incredible it's like exactly what you need we're actually hiring on a just the other day we did an EOS implementer because it's like so crucial to just fine tune the business and, and to take it to the next level. So yeah, it's a good feeling when you have people that are way smarter than you and the best of the best in each you know category. It's like, wow, this is the business is really running now. Completely agree. Completely agree. I love there, it. Yeah. So I, I would love to talk about, you know, how you got that leader. You said you're DMing some of these people and getting them from social media, but leadership team, first off, like what does that consist of for you guys? How many people are on like your high level leadership team? And then how the heck did you get them through DMs? <laughs> so in terms of leadership team, we're a team of 12. You know, you got people, you got Mick as your head of asset management. You got a head of finance, that's Corbin. Austin's our head of revenue. Josh is our head of ops. John's our head of data. Taylor's our head of acquisition, Brooks are head of PM, Andrews are head of operational infrastructure, got three general partners. We also have our property management leaders, right? That's about half our company, right? Managing, you know, all these properties requires a lot of operational infrastructure on a day-to-day, especially with short-term rentals. Um, that's stuff we've obviously built up over time. And, you know, honestly, a lot of them that kind of taking it a step back, I would say about half our leadership team we hired well before we needed them or knew what they were going to do. And I know it's kind of crazy to say that, but you know, a story that I often bring is, you know, when we started, we were completely non really tech data focused as much as we are today. Sure. And we had the idea that we would want to be, but when we met John, for example, who's our head of data, you know, we didn't really have a need for a head of data. Like it wasn't a role we were seeking, right? It was, wow, this person is incredibly good at their craft. How could we bring that value to the business? 
right? And I think oftentimes people, when they're hiring, they think inverse, right? They have a problem, they solve for it, they hire, it's reactive, right? Yeah. Or, or they're planning for it. And I think one thing that I learned at Facebook very early on, and granted, it was a huge growth time at Facebook, so I'm, I'm privileged to have experienced that, it was Facebook didn't really care about what they needed. What they cared about is hiring the best possible talent in the marketplace, bring them into the company, then figure out what the hell they were going to do from there. Right? Yeah. It was just hire literally the best, smartest, most creative, willing, passionate, driving forces in the business. Right. Wow. And like from there, figure it out. You know, when we brought on, like I said, half the team, it wasn't like we needed them. Right. On the contrary, someone like Taylor, you talk about social media, Taylor's got, you know, he's an ex baseball guy. He was in sales. You know, he used to own, you were still at us, but when I met him, he had about two Airbnbs. But dude was tweeting every single day about like baseball analytics of short term rentals. Right. Like the passion was there in every way. And it took me about two months of late night calls with him to try to recruit him because he actually was like, oh yeah, I, I'm going to start a fund myself. And I was like, let me tell you what it's like starting a fund and everything. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, was, I was like, it's not as sexy and, and as small as you think it's going to be. But anyways, it took me about two months to land him. And you know, if you ask him today, if he'd go do it himself, he'd be like, hell no. Right. He's like, yeah, everyone's here. Everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. But you know, social's there. Obviously you got the whole LinkedIn. I would say probably 70% of our leadership team has been referred by another leader. Right. And so when we look for that type of thing, a big thing we look for obviously is culture fit and like kind of where we are. We're a very contrarian company. Everything we do doesn't really make traditional sense. We shouldn't be able to scale short term rentals. We shouldn't be able to do the things that we do. If you look at data, we crush it by 70% of what's normal in short term rentals. We shouldn't be able to do these things. And there, there's no difference there with the way we hire. Right. We hire the best people. We figure out how we implement, you know, their strengths into the business. And really where we're at today, which really allows us to be in a position of power and leverage is now that we're here and we have this great talent, we can actually do these other things that we never thought we could do. Right. If we have a business problem or a curiosity question, we can actually go tackle that because we have the right people here at the company. Yeah, that's so good. I love that. And obviously you guys have a, a strong vision to get everybody on board and want to be a part of, you know, the change that you guys are really making, being the beginners of breaking into this industry so big like this. What does it look like for you guys? Like what are you guys trying to accomplish in the next couple of years? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Actually, kind of to note on that, one of our leadership principles is literally drink Kool-Aid, right? Yeah. And, you know, the core yeah. value, it's mandatory. <laughs> it's mandatory. If, if, yeah. if you're not drinking the Kool-Aid here, like it ain't the right place for you. Right. And yeah. okay, being that kind of company, right. We're, this isn't just a job, right. Especially in, in leadership, right. It's you need to lead with empathy, with energy, with clarity, with context. Right. And if you don't believe in what we're doing, that's totally cool. Just yeah. not probably not the place for you to be here. Right. And so having that kind of feeling all through and through is, is absolutely a part of our vision where we're headed. So to answer your, to your question, we believe this asset class is pre-institutional. It's been yep. historically hard to invest in. It's been historically hard to scale. And it's really never seen a level of professionalization until really us, right? And the first iteration of that was kind of your property manager, right? Is sure. a property manager like Picasso who come in and they would manage your property. Our belief, and so far we we believe we've proven that thesis is the alignment between a traditional property manager and a non-traditional property manager. I, like for example, like us, we're vertically integrated. Is actually fairly misaligned, right? The property manager doesn't care about the same things that you as an owner care about, like profitability. Yeah. 
right? In our structure, we are the GP, we are the property manager. We tip, we give it to him about the profitability because that's how we make our big bulk of our money as well, right? Yep. And so by owning the stack, we really aligned interests across the board. We've applied, applied our own technology, our own machine learning, and our own quote conversions of AI that allows us to predict what revenues will be, what's working in the marketplace. We collect you know, millions and millions of data points on a monthly basis and underwrite hundreds of thousands of properties, under, understanding what works and what doesn't, and we lead with data and technology like no other business does. And the reason we have to do these things is because of our scale. Your average consumer isn't going to go out and buy 200 properties this year for a short-term rental, unless literally they're funded by you know a significant amount of capital. But for us, we needed to be able to solve for those scale challenges, and therefore we built these tools. And eventually, these tools will be able to be licensed out and offered to the everyday consumer, whether it's through the tool itself or through one of our services in the future, right? And it may be through one of our subsidiary brands, but our belief is that this industry professionalization is good. It's good for the owner. It's good for regulation. It's good for cities. It's good for guests. It's good for everyone. It's about time that someone take that approach. I love that. I really do. And I think the big question here that a lot of other institutions and and fund managers have kind of stayed away with is all the legality when it comes down to you know the different states. You know, San Diego just what this past year you know made certain requirements that and they were threatening it the last couple of years, but finally it went into play um, that you have to be registered and all this other stuff. So. And there's plenty of other states or counties and and areas that are doing the same. So, you know, those changes, it kind of puts a little bit of out of your control to a certain degree, at, unless you, you know, have a very strong pulse on the market and the politics and so forth. So it's a big, I wouldn't say like a bold claim, but like it, it's a big... I wouldn't even go risk factor. It's just one of those things that like you guys are jumping in head on when a lot of other people would be scared to do those things at a grand scale like you're doing it. So kudos to you for it. Talk to me about what does this actually look like though internal for the team of like, you know, scratch your head, pulling out your hair of like, holy shit, what's going to happen next? And how do we actually stay on top of this? Yeah. I mean, you know, on regulation itself, it's certainly a risk. We are a pro-regulation company. We believe in regulation. And we hedge actually fairly well against it. For example, in you know one market that we invest in, three billion dollars worth of short-term rental income and taxes drive roads and schools and all those things. I don't care what you tell me, three billion dollars is never being replaced there anytime soon, right? Yeah. It's also a second destination type market, right? And another one of our markets, which is a little bit more metro, right? It's a state law that short-term rentals are by right, and that only HOAs can actually you know tell you go. So we're not buying in San Diego and New York and Los Angeles and Miami. First and foremost, the numbers don't make sense, right? In terms of what you can do, we actually, and we also don't compete with hotels. We, our average property is a four bedroom or larger with a pool on a reasonable size lot that we're monetizing and building a pickleball court and a basketball court and bowling. And like, these are not things you're going to do in your high rise in downtown Miami, right? You're just not going to get that. So the ways that we differentiate ourselves inherently reduces our risk of regulation, right? Not to mention the markets that we're buying, not to mention the types of assets that we're buying. We're not even buying starter homes, right? And everything that we do from a renovating perspective is also typically purpose-built. We spend $150,000 plus on a renovation, including furniture design and everything in between, right? Like we are purpose designing and purpose building for the product that we're doing because we expect to own this asset 
for the next four, five, six, seven years. And we're positioned and willing and ready if needed to hold it forever if we had to, right? That at that point makes you a seller that's never scared, right? Yeah. And the worst thing you want to be in a market of real estate, especially when shit hits the fan is a scared seller, specifically on the debt side, right? All of our debt is fixed for a decade or longer, and we can refi within a decade very comfortably. If you look at history, never yeah. had a time with for in 10 years gone by where rates haven't fluctuated up and down, especially to a favorable point. So unless history does something it's never done before, we should be all right. So, you know, that in itself with, you know, obviously operating Airbnbs, you've got regulation, you've got renovation, you got permitting, you got neighbors, you have guests, you have the illusion of parties, you have maintenance, right? What we do is is real estate, but really it's primarily business, right? At the end of the day, because you're operating a business outside of a property, right? And the property yeah. itself is the foundation and you've added value to these renovations and these value adds. And our team is incredibly good at understanding ROI down to the team. We can tell you if we do X, we should generate Y and that is tracked meticulously. Every decision we do, and, and fun fact, in our first fund, we were spending roughly $110,000, give or take, on average per property in terms of like renovations, fit furniture, and fixtures. In, in our second portfolio, we're spending you know $40,000 more, if not even more than that, sometimes per home. And you know, sometimes people look at that and they're like, well, why? Right. And what well, the data shows it. We grossly underestimated the amount of revenue that we could drive with the type of renovations and design amenities that we put, you know, a hot tub, a pickleball court, you know, bowling, outdoor bowling, mini golf. I mean, I kid you not, our poems do oftentimes two or three times the amount of revenue in the same market as a comparable home based on the value that we're doing. So everything is meticulously tracked and there's data behind the decisions. I love all that. And that's why KPIs and and really diving in, being the tech company that you guys, kind of the background, really, the foundation that you guys have, it brings in the smart guys that can really have the data to drive all your decision making, which that's how successful companies truly, you know, thrive. So you guys are literally building renovations, you know, adding a bowling alley. Just- oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like an outdoor bowling alley, right? And you got like pickleball courts. We've done a golf simulator that's done really yeah. well. In one of our markets, we add, we do uh, custom built bunk beds into the wall for kids and like dual slides coming out of it. Yeah. Right. So that they, you know, it photographs well, it's fun. You know, you got to know your avatar, right? And I can go back to why we believe professionalization is really important in this space is, you know, most people amenitize and design a short term rental for themselves because yes. it's their second home right? They're not thinking about who's coming to this market, right? And yeah. if you're starting any business, one of the first things you should ask yourself is, who's my customer? Yeah. Right? Yet in short-term rentals, no one is asking who's my customer because in their head, their customer is themselves, right? I need to design and amenify this house for myself, my family, my friends, because we're going to use it a week or six weeks out of the year, whatever it's going to be. And that's why we want to buy it. However, for us, we don't think like that. We're never going to use the house, even though our yeah. investors can. We're designing it for the, we know that this market is going to be typically groups of eight with two kids at this age looking to celebrate this or go travel for this reason. And here's their you know needs and wants and what things should look like and how things should work. So inherently, when that person is looking for the property on Airbnb, it's no surprise that we rank twice as much right in terms of views. We get 25% more clicks, 25% more bookings at a 20% or better premium. 
Why? Because we're serving the audience what they need. In fact, what I just described is exactly like ranking on page one of Google. Yeah. It's not rocket science, right? Yeah. But on Google, you're competing with billion dollar enterprises, right? Of like, we're trying to rank ahead of you depending on your niche and your business. On Airbnb, I'm competing 99% of the time against someone who doesn't even know that this is possible. Yeah. The mom right? and pops that are setting it up for, yeah, right? for themselves. Yeah. Exactly. And and with all due respect, I want to make sure that, you know, I have nothing against mom and pops. I think it's an incredible sure. business for them and what they're doing. And, you know, I commend them for the efforts and the value that they bring to communities. You know, it's just about understanding the game and understanding the business. Right. And that's an area yeah. where we have a strict advantage in. Yeah, no, like I'm that person, honestly, like I'm the mom and pop that we have like, you know, a dozen plus Airbnbs, but we are not setting it up. I'm putting my own finishing touches that I think would be nice, but I you know, with no goals or plans of ever staying in any of them. But I don't think about the the end user as much as I should and, and doing those little tweaks to be able to get that premium. It's a no brainer when you say it and you like, you know, it's the data that can drive all of this. And it's very well, common it's, sense when you practicalize it, you know? It's crazy because you brought up like the user and, and it's because we come from tech that we think about yeah. the user journey, right? And it's, good. it's not common in real estate to think about the user journey, right? Even in multifamily, which I'm an LP and probably like dozens of syndications at this point can't count. But yep. it's when I ask the GP like why they're doing, for example, renovations the way that they are, they're like, well, you know, the one three three streets down did it like that. This right? is the I'm standard. Like, yeah, this is, standard, is what these guys right? are doing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, cool. Like you have a cookie cutter approach and it, it yeah. works multi, right? Like I get yeah. it. But I'm like, okay, but who is the user? Right? Yeah. Who is the, like, you know, those, those things. And it's, it's just such night and day difference between these athletic classes, which again, I'm not an expert in multi, which is why I will never yeah. get into that space. But I'll yep. have to leave my money to someone else. Yeah, yeah. Right. I love that. I'm the same way. That's so good, man. I, I really do love that. I think that tech background, just like you said, it's like you guys are always thinking about the end user. So it allows you to really thrive in many different ways with this. Very cool, man. So when it comes down to property management, you mentioned, you know, part of the team, you guys brought that in-house to really have that control and to give a shit about uh, what the outcome is, which is pretty crucial here. I'm curious about cleaning crew. I know you guys are in several different states, so maybe that isn't in-house yet, but curious what that looks like as well as construction. I mean, you guys are putting a lot of money out there to be able to like you guys are building some wild things and making a really entertaining, you know, platform and place for people to enjoy themselves. So what is, are you guys have plans or is it in-house already? What does that look like? Yeah. Great questions. So as you might imagine, scale matters a lot, especially when you're yeah. talking about those things, right? And when we first started the company, we never had plans of being vertically integrated. We actually were forced to be vertically integrated after the providers that we picked didn't Sucked. meet the demands <laughs> yeah, that we were looking suck. for. And, you know, we were sitting there, we were like, you know, shit, we just raised, I think at that point, like seven or $10 million. And all our service providers were like, you know, we don't do that anymore. We don't want to do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Like we signed a $25 million engagement to do this. And they just said, well, we don't want to. I'm like, well, we can either shut down or we can build it ourselves. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah. And so we ended up building a bunch of the, the operating side in our opco propco model. So we do do it ourselves. So kind of to answer your question, depending on the market, it depends on what we own or what we outsource, right? Yep. So really in bulk across everything, we don't own cleaning. We don't have any intention of owning cleaning anytime soon. Although obviously as scale changes, those questions are always asked in terms of unit economics, but it doesn't yet make sense to own the cleaning company 
that also cleans the properties and those people on salary and W2, right? So you're still contracting out to a partner to do those in each market. On construction, I have seen on the cleaning side of other friends of mine that, man, that is a business that can be very lucrative as well. Honestly, it's a lot of turnover and trying to find really high quality people. But if you can control that aspect, it's one of the first things that I noticed besides, like you said, property management, because everybody's jacking that up. So yeah. On, on cleaning, I would agree. It's just one of those areas that like, you know, yeah. it's a completely different economics of a business rather than like the tech forward approach that we take sure. in a lot of yeah. things. Um, and it's not something that has made sense for us to do just yet. Um, yeah. And so on construction, we don't own our own construction, but we do have a GC in-house that obviously allows us to lower the cost of construction because we act as our own GC really across most markets. Although construction is in talks right now of us to bring it in house or actually have an eye on a target company that we may acquire and obviously spin up those locations in the markets that we're in because we have that density and scale. So that's that's something that we're considering. However, the things like maintenance over time, we have three main markets where we're in today and then kind of t- tier two markets as well. And our three main markets as of last quarter, we did bring on in-house maintenance, in-house market managers, right? Because you start to get density. You have 30 listings in a specific market. It actually makes a lot of sense to bring in maintenance in-house rather than paying that service call every single time you have something happen, right? Oh, yeah. Short-term rental just gets kind of high. So, you know, what I'm, my point is like in every part of the business, there's an inflection point where you start to ask yourself, do I hire out or do I do it myself? And what's the time cost, the cost of people, the cost of technology, the cost of labor, all of these other things. And, you know, each part of the business is a little different. We're not there yet on cleaning. We're not there yet on construction. But I imagine in the future, especially to continue this pace, we certainly will be. Yeah, I love that. I mean, there's levels to everything. There's certain ceilings that you guys will get to. And especially with the goals, the amount the fund has naturally just hit hit a chord with so many people that have trusted in you guys to take this to the next level. So I'm sure there will be a time, a day and, and a place for all that to... And the cool part about it is that you guys have that ability to branch off and to have something greatly successful in all of those categories. Like a cleaning crew could be greatly successful, turn that into millions of dollars on its own, as well as, you know, the construction and so many other, you know, platforms that can kind of branch out from that. So it's just funny, like when, when you first start off and, and you realize the need for the management, I'm starting off. It's like, well, that's a mandatory. We have to, because these guys are all doing horrible here. So love it though. And you start to see it pretty quick too, right? It's, you know, we built our company very much like an onion, right? Where you could own the entire layers. It's really yeah. just about what layers you want to own and why. And you know, I think for us, it's about de- deriving shareholder value, right? Like if we didn't own the real estate with our investors, I don't know if we care to own maintenance. Like give you an example in the fund, we don't mark up, you know, the cost of maintenance, Right. If you go to a company like Vacasa over, and this is probably a shocking one, 55% of their revenue doesn't come from property management, even though they're a property management company. Wow. Right. It's because they're marking up services to the owner based on their labor costs and these types of things. Right. And it's because we're owners directly. Right. We don't care to, you know, upcharge this fee in order to drive revenue to our operating business. Right. What we do is we're very much in line with the company. You know, it's a direct cost, right? And therefore, there's incredible shareholder value that's being driven to our investors. And of course, for guests, you have someone who can fix things on the spot, always on call, those types of things. And 
over time, these things make sense. And I think one of the biggest things we often get reached out to is like, hey, were you, you know, property or asset managed for us? And we you know we're not doing that today, but we we do have the ability to go do these things for other people with the data and the technology that we have, especially through subsidized costs, which allow owners to deliver a much better experience for both themselves and guests in the future. And those all things also give us data, right? As to like what's working, what's not working. And at the end of the day, you know, today we have access to I can't even tell you how many millions of rows and data points of data, right? It's raw data across the across the country, but even with more data, we're able to drive better investment decisions uh, as well as better revenue decisions. Wow. I love it. So with these properties, are you, you guys are owning these, right? You guys are buying these and are you buying them distressed um, or straight off the market? Yeah, it's a good question. We rarely buy distressed. I would say our our two top sources are going to be either on market or simply just off market because we've bought enough there that people are just like, hey, do you want to buy ours? Or hey, it's on, you know, before I bring it to market, do you want to buy it? It's bought three others that on these three other streets. It's funny in Scottsdale, for example, is a market where we're in. It's like you, as you walk each street in the neighborhoods that we buy in, it's like, oh, we have one here, one here, one here, one here, right? Yes. So you got, we got two on this street. And like there's areas that we buy in very specifically. We haven't gone after after distressed primarily because our our buy box is very unique, right? Mm-hmm. And you know we've had tons of people that contact us about distress, and they're like, "Hey, I can get you thirty properties in this one transaction, right?" And that's great, but maybe maybe one of those properties fits our very unique buy box in that market, which is you know let's say a four bedroom with a pool on this acreage of a lot in this area of the math that we really want to favor. And there's reasons for that. And that's why, you know, that's what the data tells you is is going to be your best. So you're not going to get any of the other BS. You don't want a two bedroom or a three bedroom. Sure, you could make it work, but that's not going to be your ideal avatar and everything else. That's not what the data is telling you. Correct. So therefore, buying a distressed portfolio doesn't really work for us. If someone gave me a distressed portfolio of the exact type of properties we're buying in that market, I'd buy it all day, right? Sure. But yeah. it's just, it's highly uncommon, right? To, to, to find that type of product at that level of scale and volume. So our acquisition strength also is in that we underwrite, I think, you know, at this point, probably a hundred to 200,000 properties a month in about 257 local markets across the country, which is where we have an interest in buying. But we've only really entered 10 markets and we have 247 other markets where whether we have quantitative data, qualitative instinct that we might want to enter or something is telling us we should continue mapping that market. For example, market we're in Florida, we didn't enter it for seven months because we didn't have enough data to actually understand it, right? And then what we saw is as prices prices compressed just a tad, and then we had enough data that validated that we could actually enter this market because we've been mapping it for seven months, everything that hits the market, because it's not just about short-term rental supply. It's about physical real estate supply, right? It doesn't matter if you know I know in this market, this type of property works out really well. It also matters that I can be able to buy enough of that property in that physical real estate world, right? So how do I mesh this this world with this world and then operate on top of it with everything that else that's regulatory and renovation and labor, right? You're building almost like these mini businesses that need to have all of those things each time you stand up a property and it's not easy at all. Are you guys doing cost segregations at all on these properties? Oh yeah, every single yeah. property cost seg, hundred <laughs> percent. Every yeah, single yeah. property the cost seg. Smart man, smart man. 
Cool. And then I, I would love to hear a little bit more about the funds. It's incredible. You know, the first raise, it was 7 million very quickly and then to 30 something. And, you know, it's just it's just amazing. So I really love how you guys have done that. Curious, before we got started, you said there's kind of like seven different classes of the share type that and then feeder funds, stuff like that. So just curious if you could expand a little bit more high level thinking as somebody might want to start their own fund out there and how the hell you did it, man. That's what I'm curious about. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I, I can't take credit for, for all of this. Of course. Team, right. But uh, you know, our strategy was simple and I'll take a, I'll kind of give you the, the marketing behind it. What we realized we had was something that was super unique. As you said at the top of this call, right? You really haven't seen short-term rental funds. But if I asked you how many times you've seen a storage dealer or a multifamily offering or any of these things, and what do they all look like? Metal box or a furnished apartment room. It looks common. You see it every day. You almost become desensitized to it. So for us, we we attack the syndication world, right? We said, hey, this is new, but it's the same exact thing you're used to. Right, it's the same exact structure, just different asset class. And you had sexy photos that didn't look like a storage box, right? Because our content, our properties are marketable. They're sexy. You got, you know, you don't see that typically in apartment buildings and storage units and RV parks and these things that are more common asset classes. So we did that. Uh, we went on podcast tours, right? We, you know, we did all those types of things. Um, we spend a lot of money on, you know, socials and. You know, getting the word out there in conferences, and we built the brand around being the leader in the space. If you want to invest institutionally, type in short-term rentals, we are the go-to choice. But also just traction, right? Sharing our revenue numbers, going after fund managers, and you talk about someone who wants to start a fund. You know, with us, you can make two to two and a half times as a fund of funds working with us than you would make working with a multifamily operator. And the reason for that is we have better margins right? In terms of what we can do on the specific asset, which we can pass through, right? To the fund manager for anyone who's looking to invest, um, you know, uh, with that. So it's getting a lot of people excited. It's also educating them about this asset class. It's also, you know, generally something that hasn't been done before. And, and look, I, we get the risk. This is something we tell each and every one of our investors. We are shooting for a home run grand slam outcome, right? Mm -hmm. Package this portfolio, sell it off to an institution, and that's a grand vision. But we also have hedged almost all the risks that we can, which is we have fixed rate debt for a long time. We buy well, we buy responsibly. Our DSDR 3X, which is 2X that of multifamily deals, so we can hold for a really long time if we need to, and maybe we hit a double if we have to. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, understanding and sharing that vision and being the authority in that space has really helped us. But, you know, anyone who ever wants to raise money from investors and disclaimer for us, of course, we are only accredited. So we only work with folks who are in the accredited space. But, you know, you got to be able to share a mission and a vision that is almost bigger and greater than you are in terms of what you're building. Um, and I think that has served us incredibly well. And it's really hard to do that with multifamily because you're so desensitized to it every single deal, right? It's about the deal, not about what you're doing in the business side of it in the space. And that's why we like open-ended funds that are not asset specific, but our business vision thesis, right? It's like, here's what we're doing in the space, not just buying this singular asset. I love it, man. Uh, I'm so pumped up for you guys. I, I think it's, yeah, it's just incredible. So 
Dude, I don't even know where to to end how to end this. I, I want to keep going. <laughs> so where where do you guys see yourself in the next few years? It looks like you you want to kind of, if possible, somebody wants to buy you out, you guys would do that. But otherwise, you have multiple backup plans. You guys are getting a huge ROI for your investors, tax benefits as well. So it's just a no-brainer in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, our our mission is very simple, right? It's to democratize the asset class in as many ways as we can. Yeah, and what I mean by that, it's about access, right? For someone to go do this themselves, and you know, they have a family, they have a job, they have hobbies. People underestimate how much work short-term rentals are, right? And it's sexy, yes, but like most people don't have the capital, the technology, the talent, the traction, the data to go do what we do. And so by being able to offer that to folks is our number one mission, right? So to be able to go in and continue to do what we do. And in parallel to that, we serve two people really primarily, right? It's our investors, but it's also guests, right? And yeah. delivering incredible guest experiences. And I'll never forget, there was uh, the first time I got a photo from one of the cleaners in one of our homes, it was we had a whiteboard in there and this little girl took a, took a picture with her and her grandpa next to the whiteboard. And all it said on the whiteboard was, Thank you for all the games. It was the most fun I've ever had. And it was just like that little feeling, right? That's like, you know, like every time someone goes to an Airbnb and the reason they make that choice with their families for having these memories and these good times and something so small are these games that we offered her in this home that she didn't have to think about that she can play with her grandpa and really have that amount of time. We serve them every single day, right? We are nothing without our guests. We are nothing without our investors, and we were able to bring that together in a beautiful blend of synergies. And so we continue to drive the guest experience forward. We are always making it better. We automate a lot of things on our end, so we have less mistakes and less things that we miss because inherently speaking, remote management is not an easy thing to do, right? Yeah. So we're making improvements in technology. Uh, and what's awesome is as what we'll, we've learned is all these things that we continue to build for ourselves, and the more we talk about it and the more we share it with folks, we learn that the same pain points we have is the same pain point that you have just on a smaller scale. I bet you if I told, if I asked you, Brandon, could you, do you want more bookings? Do you want more revenue? Do you have issues with your cleaners? Is maintenance a, you know, a pain in the butt? Every single one of those would be like a resounding yes, because we know the pain points and we're building the tools, the resources, the layers of the onion that we're using ourselves because we have to build it for ourselves to run and operate that eventually yeah. we hope to offer those same tools and resources either through products or through services through one or more of our other subsidiary companies in the future that would allow other folks who you know still want to be in that active management space to have choice and better perform for themselves, their family, but also for their guests that are staying there, right? And that's kind of our belief in the professionalization space. And that's where I think we're headed over the next couple of years. I think an exit is inevitable, right? I think at some point you get to a certain size where institutions, you know, anyone in the space three or five years from now wants to buy 500 short-term rentals in a portfolio, you know, there's not going to be many options. And really, we're going to be the leader in that space. And whether we fractionalize that or hold them forever, whatever, you know, ends up happening, we have a lot of choice. And I think having choice is a powerful thing in the world of investing. I agree. Yeah, I love that. Man, it's so incredible, everything that you guys got going on and and very thankful that you took the time out to, to be on today. How can people get a hold of you guys? Uh, you can check out techfester.com. We're all over LinkedIn. Uh, I'll shout out, you know, Taylor's active on Twitter. I think he's Mr. Jones STRs. John is the Airbnb data guy. If you want to go on TikTok or YouTube and, you know, we share a lot of things. All our data is public, by the way. So if you're curious, you just book a call with our team. Like we'll literally send you a link and like literally what we did last quarter on revenue and 
expenses and mortgage and like everything. You can see everything. Everything we do is as public as can be. We want to bring as much transparency to the space as possible. And I think it's something that more GPs should consider, right? Like we do everything upfront. We, you know, everything's branded and marketable and sexy and data's in your face. And, you know, we firmly believe in what we're doing. So if that's you, we'd love to have you if you're an accredited investor. And if you're just curious, you know, book a call, learn more, see what the hype is about. Love it. Yeah, guys, I highly recommend I'm going to be booking a call. Let's just say that. But I recommend you guys do the same. And just a wealth of knowledge. The more that I get better at business and learning the mistakes that I've made in the you know beginning stages versus what we're learning to that actually works today is data-driven you know, changes and higher ons or, or reasoning behind all your decision makings. Really, that's how businesses run. That's how successful businesses are, are made. So that that's the thesis right here, Brandon. Like, I know not a lot of people can see my screen right now, but the, yeah. whole, the whole thesis behind the name TechFester is simply data driven investing. Yeah. Right? Whether it's tools or resources or opportunities or whatever it is, we believe the world needs more data and better inferences on that data. And we believe we can help that. And the first spark spot we're tackling is short-term rentals. Love it. So guys, reach out to uh, TechVestor and reach out to the whole crew. I mean, just a wealth of knowledge. So very excited for that. Appreciate your time today, brother. It was, it was amazing having you on. Guys, if you want to get a hold of me, you can always do so on Instagram. It's Brandon Elliott Investments. Otherwise, uh, Facebook.com forward slash Brandon Elliott Investor. If you guys are looking to really learn how to get the the banks to say yes a hell of a lot more and get up to $500,000 every six months at 0% interest, you can check out creditcounselelite.com. Getting a big stack of these. So getting a big stack of these 0% interest, uh, learning how to do so so that you can start, grow, scale your investing and be able to do it um, safely and securely. Check out creditcounselelite.com. You can get a second opinion from us and be able to hear more about our journey and what you got going on. So with that being said, make sure you hit the subscribe button to Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast. If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? Do so right now and leave that five-star review. Greatly appreciate all the love, all the support lately. You guys are amazing. means the world to me. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Till next time, God bless. This has been another episode of Ready, Set, Go! Real Estate Investing Podcast, brought to you by Brandon Elliott. For more information, please visit BrandonElliottInvestments.com. Also, please don't forget to like, share, and leave a comment below. Thanks again for joining. Until next